Hey, Pat and Stu. Oh, hi. Jeffy? Uh, After morning. Your mic's not on. You're moron. <laughs> Every it's day incredible. it's something, man. It's incredible. It's either the dumb, dumb point, or it's the, no dumb? microphone on, yeah. or uh, he's reaching down underneath his desk there, d- doing Bending who knows over. what. Yeah. I will say, too, one interesting thing you might not know <clears> if you just watch the show, or you uh, may listen on Blaze Radio, you don't realize that... <laughs> Every day before we come on, uh, everyone in, in the room yells to us that our mics are muted. Um, they always say, your mics are muted, mics are muted. And so, yeah, we, when we they hear do. that, we flip them to, and so they're not muted anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, and then yet still, weird. Jeffy's constantly still on the air without weird. his... It's, uh, it, it's a weird phenomenon. All right, well, uh, since last we met... Or maybe it happened. It happened right at the beginning of the show yesterday. That it was official that O'Reilly was fired. Right? Or was it just? No, it was, I don't think it was. It official was officially later speculated. On. Yes. And then we found out. Sure enough, it <clears throat> it was a done deal. So now they've they've listed the uh, primetime lineup at five o'clock Eastern. A new show will debut. So I guess they're doing away with the five, right? Yep. Well, no. At that particular yes. time, the five at five is no longer the five at five. Five at five is now the five at nine. There is instead a show hosted by Eric Bowley. Uh, so, a solo gig. And that will Eric. debut on May 1st from a- April 28th, 4th to 28th. Special report with Brett Bear will air from five to seven, so it'll be a two-hour show. Uh, then there's, uh, at seven o'clock, the story with Martha McCallum. So wait, is Shepard Smith no longer in that? Wasn't he at seven o'clock for a long time? I, I don't watch Fox, so I don't know. As far as I know, Shep's been, uh, he does the afternoon stuff. Did, mm-hmm. Wasn't he always at 7? Uh, I think that changed when they moved, <laughs> like, when they moved to Sean. I think that's been done for yeah, a while. Yeah, when they moved okay. to Sean to oh, later okay, and, yes. and yeah. uh, Megan was there still at 9, I think that's yeah. when that, <clears throat> yeah, they I'm kicked not, him back. I've got to say, because I, I like O'Reilly, you know, uh, you know and I, I, there's certain shows that I like on Fox, but mm. I'm not watching too much Fox these days. Me neither. So i got to say. I never watch it. Uh, yeah, me neither. Um, so but I the story with Martha McCallum, I like her. Uh, she's she's pretty good. So they've given her a primetime show now, so that's interesting. Great. Then Tucker Carlson takes over for O'Reilly? I mean, has anyone ever walked into a situation better than Tucker Carlson? Tucker freaking Carlson? I, I mean, the guy was... I mean, remember, here's Tucker Carlson. And I have nothing against Tucker Carlson. I mean, you know, he seems fine, and, he, you know, he's had... There's been some interviews that have been good with Glenn, some that haven't been so good. Um, but, I mean, overall, like, you know, he's a he's been a guy who's been around these circles for a million years, like, being on cable news for a million years. And, and I don't know, like, I never... He was on, wasn't it Crossfire or something a zillion something. years ago? Yeah. And he was wearing bow ties, and I, he kind of like lost track of the guy. And then all of a sudden, he's on Fox uh, when they do that lineup switch because Megan leaves. And then, and then O'Reilly, like this guy's just being handed the top gig in all of cable news. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Now, he's done pretty well with it so Is far. Is this permanent? Uh, do we know? Yeah, it's supposed to be, yeah. He's it's got permanent. He's their 8 o'clock replacement. They just went with Tucker Carlson? Yeah. To replace Bill O'Reilly? Yeah. I mean,. That's incomprehensible. It's in, it's incredible it's for him. Incomprehensible. But that's, but that's what we said with Megan too, right? And he, the numbers went through the roof. I don't know about through the roof, but uh, they held good. strong. They've, yeah. they've been they've been strong. Yeah, they've, they've been, been strong. Um, and and O'Reilly's numbers are, are are numbers that no one has touched. So it'll right. be interesting to see if he can if he's going to be able to to keep you know the O'Reilly numbers. And I, I guess he doesn't necessarily have to keep them. 
But if he can kind of keep him right. close for a while and then maybe uh, get there eventually, that's that's a great. I mean, look, he's. I think he's. You know, I, I, again, I don't watch a lot of Fox, but I will say like the 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 reaction to Tucker at eight, uh, nine o'clock has been, I think, pretty positive generally. Um, you know, uh, so. That's good for him. I mean, uh, and well, go- it's definitely good for him. It's just not good for the audience. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's incomprehensible. I, whatever. But uh, Tucker Carlson takes over for o- O'Reilly. Uh, at 9 p.m., it's the five. So they move the five into the time into the uh, primetime lineup, and they yeah. say it's live. So those five people are going to be there at 9 o'clock Eastern doing it every night. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, like that was another show. When we left uh, Fox, uh, they replaced Glenn with the Five, <clears throat> and I would say they—I'm speaking for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you can take this with a grain of salt here. However, they never certainly announced this, uh, but I would say they didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> Meaning, like, you mean Fox, Fox News Channel was, yeah. never thought yeah. of that as a permanent replacement. I think that's true. And, and then it and surprisingly kind of worked. And yeah, I mean, the ratings did go down, but they were yeah. not so dramatically down. That, and eventually they wound up, uh, you know, getting their their footing pretty well. And the show's done pretty well. I mean, I would say impressively well. For a panel show, because panel shows, like, they're an interesting thing to do sometimes. Um, you know, I don't always love them. You know, I, if there's a certain mm-hmm. there's a certain part of it which is a good the conversational aspect of it. I mean, like you know, I mean, you could argue we have a panel show every day, right? I mean, like there's you like to have the conversation, but you have to like the voices. And like you know, for me, mm-hmm. like Bob Beckel on that show is terrible. I don't know, why, like it's just like why are you trying to annoy me? Like it's like as a, as a viewer, uh-huh. like I get that yes, there are liberals in the world, and I get that people they're just not watching Fox. Yeah, so well, why are you servicing them when they're not there? I, I don't know. It's and it's like a they're half-ass servicing. It's like you know, yeah. Bob Beckel really is he the guy? I don't know. To me, it's just all right. Oh, hold on. Let me let me just hold on. Let me. I might as well go get a soda because now Bob Beckel's talking. It's like mm. there's I get no value out of that at all. I mean, you know, like, I think there's an interesting difference between Greg Gutfeld's opinion and Dana Perino's opinion. Like, I can get something out of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Like, they come at it from different perspectives. But, like, it's not like they're just talking French. And it's like, Bob Beck will just come on and he's just speaking a different language. Like, I, you know, it's, like, pointless to me to even bother with it. I get that, like, you can get in your, your little bubble too much and maybe not understand what other people are thinking. Maybe because we do this job, I mean, I get enough of that, so I don't necessarily need it from a show like like The Five. But I, I've never, I don't, I don't particularly value that idea, that format of just like, hey, let's stick a random mediocre liberal in the middle of this and see what he says. Yeah, so I don't like, like that. Right. I don't like it. Uh, so anyway, The Five are Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, who will still be the legs on the show, uh, Dana Perino, Bob Beckel, Greg Gutfeld, uh, Feld. Jesse Waters and Juan Williams, that seems to be six. So are they changing it to the six, or are they... Um, That's a good point. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, they might just maybe rotate. rotate. Uh, it doesn't yeah. seem like the same people yeah. are on every night, every time true. I see a clip or whatever. So, yeah. And then Hannity wraps up the primetime lineup. He's still at 10. Yep. Interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting lineup. I, 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 we've heard reports that they want to bring in somebody who's non-political, a big name from another network. Um, you know, A lot of people were tossing out all sorts of different uh, you know, possibilities on that. Um, we heard from, Oprah, for instance. Oprah, I know another one I heard from a lot, at least a lot of viewers, which I thought was actually an interesting one, was Mike Rowe, who's not a political guy, that, but it's actually a smart yeah. guy. And, and, you know, it's not like you're bringing in you Oprah know. to talk about feelings every day. Mike can actually that's deal with idea. issues that's and, a good idea. in a common that sense way. It's kind idea. of an interesting, yeah. 
interesting idea. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a big day. I mean, I, you know, I wonder how you wonder about these things. And sometimes I feel like they get overblown. Um, you know, Bill O'Reilly was number one for 21 years. Um, and and I, I'm going to separate this for a minute over the accusations because I don't, I don't know anything about it. I don't know any of the people. who I've never met anyone who accused him of these things. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that's going to mm-hmm. play all itself out separately. But, I mean, I'm looking at this as more of like a he, – he had a 21-year job. He was number one. He's, he's you know, I mean, you know, it's similar to uh, – we've seen a lot of big figures have these bizarre – falls from grace late in their careers lately. And I don't feel like that was the thing back in the day. I feel like people, you know, like Gary Hart fell from grace Mm -hmm. in the middle of the campaign, in the middle of his prime. You know, Anthony Weiner is another example, right? Like in the middle of his prime, he has this huge scandal. He goes out. I'm not comparing these scandals by any means. But I I find it interesting in that, like, lately, we've been picking off these people after they've been in the industry for 30 and 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, Roger Ailes, uh, Bill Cosby, uh, you know, and I, I, again, I really do feel uncomfortable putting Bill O'Reilly in the same category, but I'm just doing it from that, from that sole perspective of, like, people who've had a long-term success, and then all of a sudden, at the end of their career, they kind of get this questioning. Um, there's another one, too, I had just, uh, just saw. Do you, do you have another well, one? Well, Pat I and I were talking a little bit about the, the, the bringing down of Kings the other day uh, in the afternoon, and... Uh, even uh, Penn State, uh, Paterno, Paterno comes to mind. Oh, I don't know ahead. if you were going there. Yeah, but, that is where, that's the other uh, one I mean, that's, Those guys were all kings mm-hmm. that got knocked off the pedestal at the end. Yeah, and it's it's weird that we're doing that. I think and our Paterno sus- didn't deserve it. No, I don't think no, Paterno certainly no, didn't. Not. Cosby didn't and Ailes seem like they did. I yeah. mean, but again, we're guessing. And O'Reilly right jury's yeah. out, but I, 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 you know, I tend to believe Bill because that's what I... Mm-hmm. You know, based on what I've seen and what I know of him and how we when we've been around him, I it doesn't seem like it's his style. And it's interesting to see that happen. And I think we have developed a real passion as a society to try to tear these people down. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying like some of them deserve like there's no question, you know, some of these people deserve these things. I mean, you know, uh, we all know, uh, you know, how these things work. And sometimes people really do get away with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a story in the UK. It was much, much worse than any of these stories where a guy was, you know, a pedophile and it was a famous uh, TV person and went on for years and years and years and years and years and years and then finally got caught at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does happen. It's just, it seems like it's more common recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, uh, um, one of the things I think we've changed on as a society is understanding the context <clears throat> of moments and the context of people. You know, there was a there was kind of a long uh, kind of joke and observational comedy sort of thing where you would say, you know, my grandparents were so old school and they would say things in ways that are offensive today. And you'd roll your eyes at your grandparents, right? Like you'd say, oh, geez, uh, no, that's offensive. You don't understand. Like that was like kind of like a thing that people did back in the day. Now it's like different. Uh, You know, people who do that, they get. They're judged only by the the standards of that moment, mm-hmm. um, and I and I don't mean that it, any of these cases. It's really a separate from from the cases we're talking about, but it does seem like a new trend uh, where, you know, I, I can remember hearing from people's grandparents like, "Oh, my grand my grandparents said something uh, that was racially insensitive in some way," and they would explain it, and it was like a, "Oh, jeez, I know he didn't mean anything bad, boy." The intent was known that it was not bad, mm-hmm. but they used a word that used to be. Uh, you know, the, like the United Negro College Fund, for example, used to be in uh, 
common parlance and now isn't, right? And, and so you'd notice those things, but you'd think about it like, well, the, the intent of that was not obviously bad. And we seem to no longer consider that. It's no longer whether the intent was bad. It's just did they violate whatever rule we have today uh, 30 or 40 years ago. And if they did, drag them through the streets. Yeah. And and again, like I'm not tying it to these cases, but it's just a strange phenomenon. And again, I, I think it is largely drawn, uh, built up by social media and that like the, you know, David Limbaugh had a really good point, I thought, when we were talking about, uh, you know, media matters and, and, and that sort of uh, ilk. And it's like, they get pleasure out of tearing people down. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm sure they justify at times, at times they don't even attempt it, but they, they try to justify that they're doing some wonderful good. Like, the idea that media matters gives one flying F about any of the women who have made an accusation in this case is so laughable. They don't care at all. They only care about getting their blood, getting their scalp. And it's only because of politics. It has nothing to do. Were they out there protesting Anthony Weiner? Were they out there protesting Bill Clinton? Were they out there any other crazy Alan Grayson? Any of the people who have done despicable things in their lives? Were they out there protesting them? No, they were cheering them on every step of the way because they don't care at all about these women. And that goes for a large swaths of the media. It's just about politics. It's just about what advantage they can get that day that will help them raise money tomorrow. And that is, it, that is a weird thing that way too many people are involved in. It's not just media matters anymore. It's people on the Internet who don't think about these individuals at all that just want to slam people and destroy their lives and destroy their careers. Because if they can do it, they will feel as if they've accomplished something. And my, what a dark world we live in if that's how you accomplish things. Uh, that's pathetic. You said a mouthful. That's why you're not on Twitter, right, Pat? That's right. That's well, why it, it, it you're, is. You're Twitterless, Pat. I, I, I just, I mean, it's why I don't pay much attention to Facebook, too, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's nonstop. Everyone trying to destroy it's each other all the time. Nonstop ugliness. And, uh, you know, I just want to get away from it for a while. All right. Well, um, I mean, after the days you spend with this yes. guy. Yes. And uh, then you got to put up with, you know, that. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it is uh, the Pat and Stu Show, 888-727-BECK. If you've ever been to Baltimore, you know it's not the most attractive place on the face of the planet. No? No, not necessarily. Hmm. Uh, And a new poll shows that uh, the people of Baltimore have been voted the least attractive in in America. (laughs) (laughs) You lived there for a while. I lived there for two years. Would you Um, say that that's accurate? Is it not an attractive uh, city? I, yeah, I, I think there's, yeah, may you make that case. There's Jeffy. both, but there's a lot of not attractive people as well. I should point out that they, obviously whatever city Jeffy's in is the least attractive <laughs> city, but this, is, this, this takes him out for purposes of comparison. Right. Okay. It's in the article. Read Why? it. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, the, uh, the, the readers scored cities on a few different categories, including how hot or not the locals are. And it turns out, now see, so this isn't very scientific. They're just assuming. I mean, are these people who know? 
But Baltimore, Baltimoreans uh, aren't the prettiest people. Was ranked the least attractive city. Charm City uh, slipped down the list from fourth to first this year on the survey. Uh, readers love Baltimore for its revitalized Inner Harbor. Uh, it's beautiful historic sites, but the city itself is uh, okay, but the people, they think, are not. Interesting, because like I see some of the, the, the names on this list. Cleveland, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington, Sacramento, California, Tampa, Florida. Is seventh? That's I, a weird one. I remember being uh, impressed at times by the local beauty. Really? Uh, you know? Yeah. Oh, but they probably still think Jeffy lives there. No, that could be it. No, he, Jeffy's moved, guys. He, he's in. <laughs> he's in Texas now. That's the, that's the, the, again. They didn't <clears throat> check their facts, and that's the problem. Another place with a very unattractive uh, person, at least, is Pyongyang, North Korea. Uh, their dear leader Kim Jong Un uh, is. I, I would say butt ugly. Would, would you go with that? Can we get the close up here of the? He does. Yes. Yeah, of uh, there he is. Uh, and it's a cute little haircut he's got going on there. So dumb. I honestly want to go to war with him over the haircut. Yeah. It's that infuriating I, to me. It looks like they're trying to do something really hideous. I feel like and it's like someone who doesn't like the regime is 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 telling him that looks good, just yeah. to mock him in front of the entire world. Uh, it does not look good. And they're telling um, other North Koreans they can't have that haircut. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would want to, but apparently they've made it illegal for... Uh, he literally so, owns the haircut now. So is this, is this uh, the acceptable haircut you can get? You're approved to get any of these haircuts. So you cannot, get, you cannot have long hair. You can only, you were approved to get these haircuts. It's amazing what these communist countries do. I was listening to, uh, I was watching, as I'm sure you guys were obviously doing this as well, watching the Toronto Blue Jays-Boston Red Sox matchup uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were, uh, it was I think the last night of the game before, I can't remember which game it was. But I've got, don't, don't tell me the outcome because I've got it. I'm not going to I'm not going to blow the score for you. Okay. Um, and if you think, if you've seen how the Blue Jays have played so far, you probably know they there's a good chance they lost because um, <laughs> they're three and eleven currently. Um, but anyway, so they're talking about Kendris Morales, who's the new to the Blue Jays this year. Uh, was on the Royals last year, um, and he's a switch hitter, um, you know, power hitter. Um, and uh, the reason he's a switch hitter is because he comes from Cuba, and the Cuban government decided they wanted switch hitters on their national team. So when they, he was like five years old, they made everyone become a switch hitter in these groups so that they could try to filter them mm. up to the top ranks and eventually get switch hitters to be on the Cuban national team. Wow. So they were forcing children to become switch hitters because of this. And he's the only one who ever made the team out of this program uh, to the national uh, Cuban team, Morales. Mm. And is what winds up, obviously, he's now in the United States. But I mean, like, t- t- that is... And I guess the program no longer exists. It was uh, at one time they had it. Uh, I don't know. Fidel. Fidel loved his baseball. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting to see like how, to the extent they control the lives of the people. Like not only are you going to play baseball. Oh, you're playing baseball. If we tell you you're playing baseball, but you're also going to hit on both sides of the plate because that's what we want. I mean that. And now look at this. I mean, you got a picture of freaking twenty five haircuts you can get in in a country. Um, and you can't, they're actually banning haircuts. We've seen this with banning names in certain countries where you yeah. can't name your children certain things. I mean, it, how that, I mean, it's not too far. You give government control of stuff, and it's not too far until you get into this. This is the female haircuts, by the way. That are acceptable? They're acceptable. Oh, really similar. There's not a lot of long hair there. 
I mean, that's communism, right? They, yeah. they just, I just amazed by they it. take away free will. Uh, it's evil. And um, I, I, it's too bad that people don't understand that anymore. Uh, also, Bruce Springsteen has released a new anti-Trump protest song with Joe Grishecki. Should I, uh, do I, uh, am I supposed to know Joe Grishecki? No. Because I, I don't. He's the longtime collaborator and house rockers frontman. Okay. House rockers frontman. Hmm. I, I mean, I was try if I could manufacture from scratch a story I'm less interested in. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it because I don't care about Bruce Springsteen. I honestly, I've never heard of Joe Grushecki. No, I haven't either. And I honestly don't, I don't care about liberal protest songs, and I don't really care about defending the president all that much either. And Bruce Springsteen uh, sucks. And he sucks. I, I don't care. I, I don't know what he's the boss of because he's he he's awful. Uh, but part of the lyrics are apparently, don't you brag to me that you've never read a book. I never put my faith in a con man and his crooks. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest about it. He's also not Ow. a talented songwriter. Oh, wow. Um, that is, those are terrible lyrics. Wow. Terrible. He's terrible in every way, really. Uh, the song lyrics uh, target, obviously, various aspects. Um, and then Grishecki told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that Trump lost me at the moment he started making fun of special needs people. How could a person oh, right. like that be president of the United States? Oh, right, because you were right on the verge of supporting him. You were right on the verge you know what, I'm going to vote Republican this time. And then <laughs> yeah. he made that joke. And that's what threw you over there. Oh, and then God, all bets were off. So stupid. So stupid. Uh, Bruce Springsteen has been a far left-wing leftist his whole life. So, I mean, this is just stupid. Mm. Uh, this is kind of fun. We mentioned this briefly yesterday. During the White House press briefing, uh, that that uh, Patriot uh, tight end Rob Gronkowski <laughs> interrupted it for a quick sec. Here's a here's a look at what happened. At that point, like very big chances. Well, I think we'll see what pans out in the negotiation. But I think there's there's an opportunity. That, can I just? Uh, <laughs> I think I got this, but thank you. Uh, maybe. All right, thanks, man. I'll see you in a minute. Uh, Hold on. Uh, that's interesting. I wonder what planning went into that. Is that really Gronkowski just doing his thing? It I don't might know. Be. It, it seemed a little more legitimate than I expected. It yeah. To look, I'll say. I kind of thought it was like, oh, you come out in the middle of a question. Maybe it was. Uh, but that was kind of funny. I, I don't think Sean was in on it. No, he didn't seem like it. Uh, Spicer seemed genuinely surprised. And I wonder if his people just said, hey, go out there. Gonna, go out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump did it. If Trump was like, go out there and just interrupt him and just say, maybe he any help. That would be funny. I it's, like it. It's a funny moment. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. This is amazing, though, because the New York Times, uh, there's so many levels of the story. Yeah, I, I and I went through all of them live yesterday. First of all, <laughs> the New York Times sports uh, tweeted that there is uh, that way less people showed up for the uh, um, White House visit. To meet Trump. To meet Trump. From the the out of protest, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that happened first. And I don't think we have that picture isolated. So I'll tell you the second part of the story, which is, uh, well, the Patriots were like, uh, not true. We have all the pictures and let's show them to you. So let's see those pictures here real quick. And you can kind of see an idea from the left. You have uh, the picture the Times tweeted, which you see there's way less people uh, sitting uh, going up the, the sides of the staircase. However, <clears> then the <throat> Patriots show another picture where they are up on the side, the side um, staircase and all the way in the back. So it looks like there's actually more people. And then the Patriots actually says those photos that the Times tweeted lack context. Facts. In 2015, over 40 football staff were on the stairs. In 2017, they were seated on the South Lawn. So there weren't less people there at all. And you see that progression mm. as we go through it. 
amazing and a terrible mistake by uh, the New York Times. And a lot of people kind of tweeted the same thing. Hey, this is why the media does, people don't trust the media because of things like this. There's no reason to make this mistake, right? right. So that's kind of where I thought this was going to leave off yesterday. And, um, and, I, and uh, it's, it's interesting to see that because the Patriots, of course, are really one of the few teams that actually would like you know, Trump. Now, there were mm. less players who went. It was 50 players in 2015 and 34 players in 2017. So there was a difference, but wow. there, you know, the pictures didn't actually represent that. Well, let me show you. Some, a reporter contacted the New York Times sports person who controlled the social media account, and I love this. I love these moments so much. This is how you own a mistake. Look at this. Uh, bad tweet by me. Terrible tweet. I wish I could say it was complicated, but no, this one is pretty straightforward. I'm an idiot. It was my idea, it was my execution, it was my blunder. I made a decision in about four minutes that clearly warranted much more time. Once we learned, we tried to fix everything as much as possible, swiftly as possible, and as transparently as possible. Of course, at that point, the damage was done. I just needed to own it. Wow, good for that Colin wow. Campbell. Great. Colin Campbell is not uh, the reporter. That's not the reporter? That's who he got the tweet oh. from the person at okay. the New York Times. That is but impressive. That's great. You know, cause, wow. you know, I'm an idiot. Every wow. one of us have done things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have said, th- I have gone through and I've looked at a story and be like, oh my gosh, like this catches some liberal in situation that I'm I'm pleased about, mm-hmm. and I go out and I put it out there and I, I I make the mistake. Now, look, he's a New York Times guy. He's a, you know, I'm sure, you know, not supposed to be as opinionated as we are. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a tad more excusable to us. But honestly, I, I don't think it is. We should be trying to get it right every single time. Um, and even with an opinion. And so sometimes I see a story of like, oh, wow, Elizabeth Warren did something stupid and I want to tweet it. And, and I always I try to every time catch myself and say, wait a minute, is this too good to be true for a reason? Because it's not true. Uh, and you go through and you're like, wait, let me see the other pictures. And, and a, a New York Times reporter should know to say, wait a minute, let me see if there are any other pictures. Let me ask the Patriots for comment. You know, what should I do here? And, you know, I love the fact that they actually admit it. Yes, that was dumb. I just saw something. I thought it was interesting. And you know what it, it was? Because you look at the retweets on it. I looked at it, uh, I think this morning, there was tens of thousands of retweets of the initial picture that showed the side-by-side. And there was like 100 retweets of the correction. It was tens of thousands of the first thing and a couple hundred of the second thing. Amazing. Um, and that's the way this seems mm. to go all the time. But good for mm-hmm. them for saying the yeah, truth. at least I, you tried. I effed it up. Sorry. Darn it. I should have done better. And I will next time. That's, that's impressive. Great. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. Uh, surprisingly, I guess Tom Brady didn't show. Yeah, he was, he was one that uh, didn't yeah. go. But I, that's not a anti-Trump thing, right? No, I guess his family. He his, he's going through something with his one of his family members has cancer. I guess I and, think his mom. Yeah, yeah and so. they were they were having a, uh, their forty eighth wedding anniversary. So good. For, um, I mean, good for Tom Brady yeah. for prioritizing that over you know. I right. mean, when you're Tom Brady, you get to do whatever you want. He didn't go for Obama either, by the way. Um, yeah, and at least in 2015. I mean, they win a Super Bowl every freaking year. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's at been least every he's other probably year. like, God, I'm bored of this. Oh, I don't yeah. want to go back there. I, who wants to go to Washington in the middle? And I forget it. It's amazing. Um, but uh, five-time Super Bowl champion has referred to President Trump as a friend and has said he's always has a good time with him. During the presidential campaign, he did have a Make America Great Again hat in his locker, which was a moment of controversy mm-hmm. at the time. Triple eight seven two seven. Back more patents too coming up. All right, uh, Jeffy uh, is going to draw. 
for us. This is always this is a fun exercise, and the New York Times uh, does the hard work on this one. I will say uh, the upshot is, is a, actually they have some really good stuff there. Uh, this is a really interesting one to kind of get to, to match perception to reality. So they they come up with these charts and they give you the beginning of the chart, and then you have to draw the line. Uh, for the missing year, where do they go? For example, this one is the first one is since 1990, the numbers of of, of car uh, of Americans who have died every year from car accidents, and you can see from 1968 to 1990 that number dropped from 52,879 to 44,600. So from 1990 to today, draw the line for the missing years. And so Jeffy will do that now, and, we, and then we can make fun of him if he misses really badly. Well, I mean, isn't this the line already? That's the line up until 1990. God, did I not just explain Jeez. I mean, <laughs> just, I just did it. Now you're drawing from 1990 till 2015. Anyway, uh, thank you. Um, so where do you think accidents. it goes? Car, yeah. Number of Americans who have died. died every year from car accidents. That's a lot. 44,000 people. That sure is. Yeah. Okay. But I bet you with... They made a lot of improvements in automobiles, safety features. You're looking at... Okay. Kind of flatten out there, you're saying, and yeah. a little bit drop and lower. Probably, okay. Sadly, we're probably still right in here. Right in there. Okay. So there you go. There's the Jeffy line. He's going to say, what, about 20 something thousand? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I, I would quite probably tell. more than that, but. Yeah. Let's reveal how you more did. More than that. Okay. Wow. Well, that's not bad. It's, it hasn't Come on dropped. Now. I mean, it went back up I for do a it, while. I, there. I, should, I figured it was in the 30s, though, still. Because if it was in the 20s, that would be we would have heard that. I will say it's not a terrible guess. We would have heard a, that. Not a terrible guess. You didn't miss by that much. Uh, you said 26,400. So, and how about this one? Since 1990, the number of Americans who have died every year from, from guns. guns. Though that's a. Now, it's. So, re- it went up from 68 to from, 90? That's so. To 1990. Right. From guns. 36,943. More people than ever have guns. This is including everything. Right. right? So this is suicides. This is This is even our Facebook killer. Accidental. Right, exactly. Our Facebook killer that counts and it doesn't doesn't matter. So again, drawing the line from 1990 to 2015. Here we go. Wow, there's more guns than ever. So I'm guessing that it probably stayed about even. And Mm. then we kept hearing in the news, oh, more people are dying. More people are dying. I love I love the. And uh, then we come back, yeah. and we probably, uh, since they make a big deal of more people that have guns than ever, but nobody is dying, so you're probably in here. It's at 34th. So yeah. you're saying it's about flat, really. I mean, not, not too much to change, a little mm. drop off. Let's so. see how Jeffy did. Mm. Oh, wow, Whoa. that is really close where you ended up. Yeah, yeah this, I know. I so there was a, 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 a big wow. drop between 1990 and 2000, and then big it's time. ticked up a little bit here recently. Again, huh. that's not just gun crime. There's all sorts of things uh, yeah, in there. Yeah, uh, 35,763. Okay, so next cool. up. Um, we have uh, how many? Uh, how many? Can you scroll up a little bit? How many since 1990? The number of Americans who have died every year from HIV. That's oh. a tough one because not really. I mean, can, this I know. I mean, this is interesting. Know. You know, those deaths are going down, right? You, you know that for a fact because and, of the cocktail that they serve now. And, and plus, so many, yeah, so many of us have it and don't die from it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't, okay, I don't know if you need that part of your analysis, to be perfectly honest. But let's see. Jeffy's going to draw the line now from All 1990 right, so to 1990. Wow, okay. So HIV, we probably... I like how he's doing it with his middle hearing finger. Hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Yeah. I'll do it with his finger. That's fine. Whatever. No, we keep hearing about it. I want to change you, Jeffy. And then we're probably down... Well, this is just the U.S., though, right? Yeah, Americans. Yeah. yeah. So we're probably okay. down like that. Then where are you ending, Well, you, you didn't... 
Yeah, why don't you bring it to the end there? Okay. All right. So now you're saying 9,300. That's a a massive drop. It is. So it's probably up here, actually. Hold on, hold on. Don't do it yet. Uh, Okay, so he's he's going a little higher? Yeah, it's probably up about a little. Now, this is interesting. Uh, That's fine. You can make it come back up a little bit. (laughs) That's fine. You click in between the 2014. Okay, hold on. Before you reveal it, that's about the line I drew. Right there. Is it? That's about the line I drew. It was, a, you know, a, a slow, gradual decrease. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Okay. Look at this line. That means click it. So, wow. That is not what I thought at all. A huge increase. I knew increase. it went up. Yeah, I, I would figure wow. that. Because remember, we had so many, there were so many stories and so much, and then obviously, this is why. But I just remember, and then it But, but look at that drop, bad. too. I mean, so it's I was incredible. Even, I mean, I should have been down underneath. If you're listening on Blaze Radio, it's essentially a straight-up-and-down mountain. It's like almost like the if you're drawing an I should have stayed under 10. I didn't think it was under 10. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, 6,464. That's huge. It peaked at, uh, what would you say that is? 94. 90. Uh, 95-ish. Yeah. yeah. Maybe thirty or forty thousand yeah. people. More than that. Yeah, 40, and now 45. it's sixty four hundred and sixty five people. It's great progress. And, wow. and it's interesting the just herky jerky nature of it. I mean, he went from nothing in nineteen eighty all the way up to forty five thousand in the mid nineties, and then by two thousand yeah, it was down to we, yeah, basically where Jeffy left it. We didn't we didn't know about it. Everybody got sick. Everybody got, oh, my God, we've got this disease. And if you got it, you were, it was a death sentence. Death sentence. It was, you were dead. And yeah. it's over, yeah. And now, and, and now we have people not. like Magic Johnson who well, got it in, and, what, and we 90, also have to, we've 90, also and edu- he's still alive today, and he doesn't ed- have it anymore. Educated so many more people on how to prevent it. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, that saved a lot of lives. Uh, so, all right, and do we have one more or two more? I don't know. Uh, this is 19, since 1990, the number of Americans who have died every year from drug overdoses. Ooh, now, this is obviously an, er- an area of Jeffy expertise. I know, but that's um, not a because, you know, for sure we don't want drug overdoses. Those are customers. Right. <laughs> that's me? one way of looking at it, yes. Uh, so, draw the line from missing years from 1990 to 2015. How many Americans wow. have died every year from drug overdoses? Exactly. If you're on Blaze Radio, in 1968, it was about 5,000. In 1990, it was about wow. 85 or 8,400. So, it's, it's gone up. Where it's does this line go from here? I bet you, I bet you we've started. It, Big use going way up. Going way up going in the 90s. Up. And then we probably drop back down. Drop down to the 2000 area. And now we're back up, though. We're climbing big time with all the, all the heroin overdoses and everything. So we're back up. So you're saying right about there to look right, Jeffy? Yeah, I guess. Because that's guess. Du- doubling since 1990, Jeffy has drawn yeah. the line. That would be a huge, huge uh, difference, right? I mean, that's a big increase. Mm-hmm. Look at this line, though. I mean, this is. Oh, oh my God. God, I did not realize that at all. Eight thousand to fifty-two thousand four hundred and four. Oh my God! Wow, that is an incredible. Jeez. You know that, what? A lot of that is that's embarrassing on my part. A, I apologize. I a lot of that. that. That's wow. A lot of that's prescription drug abuse. I've had, and also the the opioid thing that's yeah. going on now is really going, going crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's prescription drugs. Versus, scroll down just yeah. a little bit because that little note below it's increased by more than five hundred percent. In 2015, more Americans died from drug overdoses than from car accidents and gun gun homicides combined. I mean, that's why I went back up, but I didn't go back up enough. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And they do note, by the way, over 60% of gun deaths are suicides. So, Mm. uh, you know, we always point that one out. It's, you know, and the left loves to to include that number in the gun deaths because, you know, I mean, it's totally different. You can obviously kill yourself. If there were no guns at all, people would kill themselves either way, uh, different ways. I mean, Japan's suicide rate is even higher than ours uh, when they have almost no guns. But still, looking at this drug overdose problem, I mean, wow. 
That wow. is incredible. Yeah. And I, I would not be surprised at all to see Donald Trump get real hardcore on this problem. Oh, he hates this. Because his brother died from alcoholism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about this in the campaign. It's his areas. It's the areas that, that voted for Donald Trump that are be really being affected yeah. by this crisis. And, I mean, look at that chart. That is unbelievable. Yeah, the chart is unbelievable. You think global warming charts are unbelievable. Look at that one. No. 50, from 8,000 to 52,000 in 15 years. Incredible. Incredible. Well, in in and, and, 25 years. Or, yeah. 25 years. Excuse me, 25 years. Yes. But, and, but still, uh, those, that's a lot. Those, yeah. That's incredible. a lot. And, and you know, and it, it's yeah, what, it goes through a period, and we've made these arguments mm-hmm. before, pro and, and against, but, I mean, it's going through a period where drug... Uh, uh, Drug use as a criminal activity has uh, has been minimized. And, and right? I mean, right? And their argument, right? Yes, their argument will be just that yeah. that it's that we've gone from uh, this was criminals and this is all medical. Yeah, I mean, people made fun of the war on drugs. Look at when it ended and what happened afterwards. Yeah, I mean, really, the mm-hmm. war on drugs from the Reagan, you know, uh, the the Reagan picture of just say no and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that got mocked. Throughout the '90s, and look at where it is now. And yeah. There's a strong argument to be made that you know that you, you, maybe there could have been an effect if we had kept that up. However, yeah. there's other parts to that argument. Is that the last one? I think that is the last one. Okay. So, wow. Uh, we'll get to Jeffy time amazing. here. Uh, this sort of was Jeffy time, but yeah. Oh yeah. Let's give him more because people yeah. are demanding it. So late seven two seven back. More patents too coming up. Those are some good fine people there. If they're demanding that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Found it felt like sharing with us, so we don't have to talk anymore. I mean, we just had a Jeffy segment. I don't understand. Mm. <laughs> Pat, you'll be happy about this. <laughs> New York mm. Mayor Bill De Blasio, Mr. Communist, mm. uh, announced a package of bills that's uh, going to uh, propose a base price of cigarettes to thirteen dollars. Now that's a Good. base price. Now that means that they'll be charged a lot more than that. Is because that when wait, we is were that in New for York, a pack of cigarettes? Yes. Not a carton, but a, ca- a pack. When we were oh, in yeah. New York, they were already over, you know, twelve, thirteen bucks. Oh, no, wow. no, I think that, that now, according wow. to De Blasio's tweet, they were ten fifty now, well, and he's raising them from ten fifty to thirteen. That's his base price, but the guy wow. selling them on the street corner ain't selling them for ten fifty. I mean, he's selling them for thirteen, fourteen bucks. Because I think ten fifty was essentially the minimum you could sell them for. Right. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons the Eric Garner thing. A lot of people were pointing this out. Yes. Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes because all the cigarettes are thirteen dollars a pack. Yeah. So he goes out and he sells them for mm. two dollars a piece to make his money. And then, of course, that escalated into something else. They've got a big yeah. ongoing campaign in the city to get uh, smokers to quit. A campaign includes a series of public service announcements, which I haven't seen that I'm going to have to see with amputations, life with no voice box, the last stages of life due to cigarette damage. Now, I think that kind of works when you're younger. Mm-hmm. But nobody, and even like yeah. we looked at the drug deaths, you know, how many, how much they've gone up and, and people don't, it's, it's hard I mean, to that's convince impo- people. You I, just don't think, people don't think they're going to be the one. I will agree. But like, you know, the, the, like, it's like, I think with you, it's the same thing with you, Jeffy. It's like, people just look at you and they're like, man, lost cause. Right. I mean, like it's obviously mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do for, at this point. I do think that the most important time to discourage someone from smoking is when they're young. Right. Because mm-hmm. the problem is you get, you think it's cool. 
you're young, you think it's cool, you start it, and then you're addicted for your whole life. And that's why they're so dangerous. Like, where if there are very few people, I mean, it exists, but like, very few people are, in my mind, are starting at 45. You don't start smoking that late, do you? Mm, I mean, you either no, start no. when you're young or you no, don't you do, do it. Not. You know, I didn't do it, thank God. So, you know, I, I you know, don't, uh, don't, 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 uh, don't, don't, don't do that, kids. That well, that, that's a powerful ad <laughs> campaign. Wow. Man, you ought to that send that to New York. Powerful. Congratulations to uh, uh, Kelvin Klein as well. Oh, um, nice. I love uh, Kelvin Klein ads, and he has now added. You want to think times have changed. Uh, back, remember when I wear uh, I wear a Kelvin or not with the uh, uh, what's her face the sixteen year old model she was a girl and she was with the jeans back hey, in the eighties uh, Brooke Shields Brooke Shields and yeah. uh, now so she was in her teens beautiful young lady yep. well uh, now Calvin Klein has now uh, in, inherited and brought on Lauren Hutton seventy three years old wow going to be part of the New Calvin Klein hmm. ad campaign. It's an intriguing oh, wow. I mean, that's, uh, maneuver. That is. That is. That, I mean, that's a new world right there. Uh, whatever. Uh, you know, like, okay. I mean, the ad itself, and we don't have to run the ad because the ad is a Calvin Klein ad, and most of the women in it are not 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm. it's, it's interesting to see that they've added that uh, 73-year-old, which means mm-hmm. you know, people are living a lot longer these days. You don't like the 73-year-old, Pat? Little... Pat? I love it. Uh, I Pat love loves it. it. She's great. Really? Yeah. Do you still look at a and 73-year-old I... and just like, wow, look at the youth? Yeah. God, oh, are you I kidding me? She's a spring chicken. Right? Compared to you? Yeah. <laughs> 73. And I know we're running late, but, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. And, oh, wow. Oh. You know, it, was, I, it just seems like I remember when the country shut down for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it would do that today. It's a lot I of people, though. That, I mean, yeah, for 168 yeah. people, I think we would. I mean, we did for 9-11, but you're right. I mean, I don't know. Today we've got anymore. so, so many know. things happen every day. 168 is a lot, though. Because, I mean, I know. I feel like the country almost stopped for the Paris thing, and that was in Paris. Yeah. And that was at roughly the same sort of scale. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Anyway, though. it's well, a good anyway, question. We didn't mention it, and I wanted to get it out there. I mean, it was yeah, a, thank you. That's a sad day. Still man. an amazing freaking it sure story. Was. Uh, still something amazing to read about as well. All right, back in a second. Welcome back. 888-727-BECK is our phone number. Uh, President Trump signed an executive order uh, that would tighten rules that award visas to skilled foreign workers and directs the federal government to enforce rules that bar foreign contractors from bidding on federal projects. He also signed another one today um, that said something to the effect uh, going after steel imports uh, and, and how we can affect those. Um, this is a big part of his Buy American thing. Uh, buy American, hire American. Certainly sounds like it would be a great thing. We all, of course, enjoy Americans. And mm-hmm. We, of course, uh, would like, you know, we prioritize America, I think, over other nations. It's our country. It's understandable. We're patriotic. We like the country. Um, and I think that's what, of course, Donald Trump is going for there. But you know, there's a lot of uh, consequences to that. Um, and so let's see where we stand with this. Uh, Scott Lincecum is with us. Uh, he is an international trade lawyer from the Cato Institute as well. Scott, for th- thanks for coming on the program. 
Oh, thanks for having me, guys. So buy American, hire American. It sounds awesome. I mean, why? who doesn't like Americans? They're pretty cool. Why do you hate yeah. it so much? Uh, well, you know, unfortunately, we're only talking about some Americans that we're protecting here. I mean, you mentioned steel, for example. So, yes, you know, there are about 150,000 workers in the American steel industry. Um, there are uh, 6.5 million American workers in industries that use steel. So uh, the president today, uh, if his executive order does eventually lead to tariffs on steel imports, um, is actually raising the costs for all of those other companies and all of those other workers, leading to fewer workers, fewer output, and the rest. Um, in fact, you know, we went down this steel road about 15 years ago when President Bush uh, imposed global safeguard tariffs on a bunch of different steel products. And what we found out was that um, it actually cost hundreds of thousands of American jobs. And the jobs that we potentially saved in the steel industry cost American consumers about $600,000 per job mm. saved every year. So, uh, wow. That's, yeah, a, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, when you think about a manufacturing salary is going to be around $50,000, $60,000 a year for these workers, um, you're looking at a 10 to 1 cost to benefit ratio in terms of uh, policy. So look, buy American sounds great. And like you said, uh, we are Americans. We, we want to help Americans. It's just always important to remember that when it comes to protectionism, we're not helping all Americans. We're helping just a few Americans, uh, mainly the CEOs that are at the White House today standing behind the president clapping. Uh, and we're hurting all the other uh, workers and CEOs who uh, don't get that kind of access. Isn't it also kind of hard in this day and age to define what is American? Is an American company one whose headquarters are here, but they assemble their product in Mexico or China? Or is it one that's built here, but their headquarters are in Japan? Exactly. And, you know, you look at the auto industry, and that's a perfect example. Yeah. You know, the, the most American car on the road today is actually a Toyota. Uh, so when you right, wow. and, and there are tons of um, of foreign manufacturing facilities all over the South where I am right now. You know, you go through the Carolinas and into Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and the rest, um, and it's it's one uh, foreign manufacturing facility after another. All of those places are hiring good old fashioned Americans, mm. and so the 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 name on the product really doesn't tell you much about where it's it's about its Americanness. Um, and then you look at a, an agreement like NAFTA, and you actually see that their Mexican imports, for example, that come into the United States actually have a ton of American content. And so um, even things that are manufactured in other places very, very likely have uh, American inputs uh, and, and so American manu employing American manufacturing workers. And then, you know, finally, even if something is 100 percent foreign made, all the inputs are foreign, you're still hiring a lot of Americans or employing a lot of Americans, whether it be in the shipping industry um, or retail or whatever. And so there are a lot of American jobs that are supported by, by those wholly foreign imports. It's just not as simple as saying buy American. Yeah. And, and like we all, uh, you know, I think 
it's been a, certainly a traditional position of many people who would watch this network to be, you know, patriotic and want to buy American. And that's sure. a good thing. We've we've released products before that were American made and, and, and talked about that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. However, when, when there's a government policy here, which is doing two things that I think conservatives and libertarians have fought against for a really long time, the government picking winners and losers and the redistribution of wealth. We are saying, hey, steelworkers, we're going to take money from other people and give it to you, basically, in effect. And that's something that I thought we all wanted to fight against and now all of a sudden are told to embrace. Yeah, and, you know, you look at how conservatives and libertarians recoiled at, uh, for example, green energy subsidies during the Obama yeah. administration. I mean, here was a situation where uh, the president and the Obama administration was, was using taxpayer dollars to enrich companies like Solyndra. Um, well, protectionism does exactly the same thing, except instead of the money coming from the treasury, it's just coming from consumers' pockets. And in that way, you know, protectionism is actually a little less intellectually honest because consumers don't see where their dollars are going. And most American consumers just aren't going to understand that, wow, you know, I'm actually paying a little bit more to enrich some cronies in, in the steel industry or whatever. So can you explain what he's trying to do with his executive order? I yeah. know the, the, the threat is that it could lead to tariffs, but it, it's not actually doing that yet, right? Right. So, so let's separate the two executive orders. The first one is on Buy American policies, which relate mainly to uh, federal government procurement. We think of things like uh, roads and bridges and so forth. And basically he's done, what he's done there is instructed uh, various agencies to examine how they can maximize American content under current Buy American laws um, with respect to federal projects. So that's the first EO. Mm -hmm. And then there's some immigration issues. I'm not an immigration lawyer, but uh, those relate to um, examining standards for H-1B visas, which are skilled worker visas, to determine if, if maybe um, those should be going to uh, higher salaried employees and shouldn't be disproportionately benefiting certain companies that, that engage in or that are um, – specifically uh, in the business of, of bringing in foreign workers. So that's the, the first executive order. The second one, which is under Section 232 of our trade laws, um, will ask the Department of Commerce to issue a report within 270 days to determine uh, whether steel imports imperil national security. Now, the, the, the sticky part of this is that the, the statute doesn't define what does threaten national security really mean. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do over the next 270 days is commerce is going to sit down and they're going to review the, the data. They're going to talk to the steel industry. They're going to talk to steel consumers. They're going to talk to foreign governments. And they're going to put together a big report to determine whether uh, steel imports in 2017 threaten national security. Now, it's important to, to note that the Department of Commerce actually did the exact same investigation in 2001. And the results were a resounding negative in that they found that steel imports in no way imperiled uh, American national security. And they found that because most, most importantly, they found that the steel industry at that time 
uh, had so much capacity that under 5% of the total capacity for American steel manufacturing could easily satisfy all of our defense industrial needs. Mm. So, the, the, you know, certainly the, the steel industry has changed a mm. bit since then, but steel output's actually about the same as it was 15 years ago, believe it or not. So <clears> the chances that, that the Department of Commerce, is, if they apply that standard, uh, is going to find a, a national security threat or low. So we lawyers, though, we're, we're waiting to see if maybe they apply a different standard and then, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. Is it a real thing, do you think? I mean, you bring up 2001, which is, is an right. interesting part of that. Because, I mean, but Trump wants a result, right? I mean, he yeah. obviously wants the end to be, yes, it does imperil our national security. Right. Is that the type of thing that a president has a lot of influence on? Or is that, are these things actually honest? Well, so yes and no. Um, the president certainly has uh, the ability and his political appointees certainly have the ability to influence the process, particularly in a legal regime like Section 232, where the term national security is not defined. Now, Congress, in my opinion, um, really dropped the ball in that they delegated this authority to the president to regulate trade. As you know, Congress has the constitutional authority to regulate foreign commerce and regulate trade. So, But in delegating that authority to the president, they didn't actually define what national security means. And so that gives the president a ton of leeway, consistent with the law, really, to, to find a national security threat where previous presidents didn't, um, and in a way that, that isn't uh, against... Uh, the the at least express intent of Congress. Hmm. We've seen the same thing happen with uh, with war recently. In that you know constitutionally, this is a con- congressional thing, and instead they've they've given up that authority really, and, right. and it's, it said, hey, you know, hey, you got sixty days to kind of do whatever you want. It's interesting yeah. how that keeps happening, and you wonder, from just a self interest perspective, why Congress would continually be giving up the power they actually have. I don't even understand that. Yeah, no, I will say this. I will, I will give them a little bit of a break on trade because the fact is that the congressional delegation of trade authority over the last century was actually done um, in kind of free trade motives. The fact is if you look at what happened in the 19th century and the early 20th century with like Smoot-Hawley and so forth, no, is that Congress was the most protectionist organization entity in the government. And the Congress actually <laughs> tried to tie its own hands by delegating authority to the president who has always been the most free trade guy in the government. And so in this case, you know, you kind of you want to cut him some slack, but whoever wrote the law still provided far too much discretion, like I mentioned. And it's not just under Section 232. We have a lot of trade laws out there that that just don't define the scope of presidential power. And that, of course, worries a lot of us who believe in free trade and think protectionism is a really bad idea. Um, before you go, Scott, there was a story that came up uh, a couple weeks ago that I'm hitting you completely out of surprise, but it just, you just reminded me as you were talking about this because the way things aren't defined. And it was with the Snuggie. Are you familiar with the story yes. of the Snuggie? Yes, you got to explain this. This is amazing. Yeah, so, so Snuggies were being imported under a certain tariff category that meant they were only getting an 8% tariff or so forth. And I believe they were, they were categorized as blankets. Well, if you end up categorizing the Snuggie as a sweater um, or <laughs> what, whatever it is, then right. the tariff immediately goes up to 15 to 20%. Um, and of course, so some 
uh, domestic manufacturers sought to challenge the Snuggies importation as a blanket, even though it says it's a blanket and you know, I, right. we can all agree to disagree on, on whether that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's a great example of just how complex and um, uh, you know, troublesome trade regulation can be. You know, conservatives, even President Trump, talk about how they want to lower the burden of regulations on American companies. Well, here you had American importers uh, and American retailers who actually had to hire trade lawyers like me to parse all the customs law and in the process got stuck with a much higher regulatory burden at the end of the day um, if if they were designated to be a sweater, if their products were designated (laughs) to be a sweater. So there are a lot of regulatory costs on trade too that we just don't ever seem to talk about. It's amazing. I mean, you think about like over the run of the Snuggie. I mean, that's a lot of freaking blankets or, or sweaters and, you know, yeah. 7 to 10% uh, a tariff on all of that is a huge difference to them. I mean, it yeah. probably destroys the company if they lose that case, which they did wind up winning, right, Scott? I think they did. Yeah, yeah they did. They had yeah. good lawyers. Um, so it, uh, it, and, 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 and again, you know, also think about how um, Snuggie consumers were paying a hidden tax they knew nothing about. Yeah. So probably a few percent of, of the of the price they were just paying out of their pockets um, in tariffs and and they really had no choice in the matter. Amazing. And by the way, I would also recommend for those snuggy uh, people out there the, the slanket, uh, which is a sleeved blanket. And it was actually, I believe, predates the snuggy and was never really got the press of the snuggy. They did not have the advertising, but I think the name's better. I mean, it's sleeves on a blanket. It's a slanket, mm-hmm. and there would be no question. And the snuggy has sleeves too. Yeah, I mean, so it's a, a blanket it's, with sleeves. It's a similar thing, but yeah. I mean. You know, just just building up the snuggling, uh, snuggly part of that, I think hurts them in their trade case. As mm. where slanket, it's you're saying it's. I mean, anket is in the name. Uh, I think that would even be a much win- more easily winnable case. I mean, I'm no I'm no trade attorney. I, I think no, no. I think I think you just graduated right there. Okay. You get one of these fancy diplomas behind you, and you're good to go. Uh, Scott Linsicum, uh, who from the Cato Institute, international trade lawyer. Thanks for coming on the program. As always, a pleasure. Triple eight seven two seven back eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. It's Pat and Stu. Can I clear something up really quick? Uh, uh, sure. This has bothered me for over a week now. Oh, no. And I keep wanting to bring this up. The cost of the Moab. Remember the, oh, yeah. the mother of all bombs? <laughs> yes. The biggest bomb in the U.S. arsenal. One of the strangest stories They, they in a while. dropped it on Afghanistan. People a mile and a half away thought the earth was uh, exploding because it was so impactful. Uh, in that whole radius, and they they thought the world was coming to an end. Uh, that's how that's how powerful this thing is. And um, everybody was saying, "Well, oh, that's a three hundred million dollar bomb. That's three hundred million dollars every time we drop that thing." It appears that started with Edward Snowden. Yeah, um, uh, that, that, that is where it started, which is odd. I mean, because and a lot of people reported it just off of that, and it's um, not three hundred million. No. And then so other people were saying, "Well, no, it's only sixteen million dollars per yes. bomb." No, and that one was reported in all sorts of media. Yeah, media all over the as place. Well, sixteen million per bomb. It turns out, each bomb costs a hundred and seventy thousand uh, dollars. Now, 
That's still okay, expensive. That's still expensive, but uh, but it's a far cry from three hundred million or even sixteen million. Yeah. So what I think happened here, uh, as we kind of trace this back, it, we did this over several days because I mean there were a lot of sources that got this wrong. Mm-hmm. What we think happened is Edward Snowden tweeted it, then a lot of people <laughs> tweeted it, and some lesser sources uh, uh, started reporting it was three hundred million dollars. Then. Uh, the, the, we realized as people looked into it that $300 million was actually the cost of the entire program, um, not one bomb. Not one bomb. Then someone did the division and came up with $160 million, or $16, 16 million, million. Uh, per bomb, but I think they just screwed up the division, and it's actually, I think, what you say, 157000 per bomb? 170000 I like think, that. is what I read. Something yeah. around that. So it was actually, they got, the, they got it wrong multiple times as they fact-checked it. We think that's the right answer, yeah. although I... If it came out tomorrow, it cost $8. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and they're like, actually, they pay us to drop them. I don't know why they do. Um, at this point, that's honestly, I wouldn't might be surprised to see it end but, up there. I mean, when, when Glenn first said it, and I, I knew it was in the story, but when he said it on the air, I'm like, wait. Three hundred million per bomb. It doesn't sound right when we no, were the initial. Well. We build aircraft carriers for that. Yeah. Come on. Now maybe I could have believed sixteen million. It seemed more believable, and especially because it was a fact check. So like yeah. someone said three hundred million. That sounds crazy. Oh, it is crazy. It was only sixteen million. I'm much more likely to believe that because you're yeah. like, okay, they got it wrong last time. This time they checked it out. They got it right. They still got it wrong. 160, 170,000 per bomb, which is still a lot. But the interesting part about that is it's not a level where you would not, you wouldn't drop it for cost. At three hundred million dollars per bomb, you're not dropping them just because of the cost of them. Right here, you know, one hundred sixty thousand dollars per bomb, you would drop them if it's the most useful bomb. That's it. You don't. You're not going to make a cost consideration at one hundred sixty thousand per bomb. And I know know you might say, well, wait a minute, that's still a lot of money. It is. However, in a military operation, it's you know small potatoes. It's not you know not something you're going to necessarily change. Yeah, you you could do it in a really needful situation like taking out Jeffy's house. Um, yeah, because he, he might try if, to escape. If, if he's inside of it. And it would take that size of a bomb to actually take him out because of the body mass. And so... Uh, uh, <laughs> why why would it take that one? Why wouldn't we just use the father of all bombs that Russia made? That one's four times larger. That's a great point. That See, is a he, great he, point. We, people are critical of Jeffy, point. not us, but people are. And uh, when he makes <laughs> points like that, you wonder why. Well, right. You why know? use the 11-ton right. one when you can use the 44-ton one, huh? That's a great point. I mean, it's it, 11,000 it would... tons and 44,000, but nice try. No. Uh, uh, 44,000 tons. Uh, no, it's not. Yes, it is. I don't think it is, is it? Uh, no, it's not. Because I, 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 uh, I thought Hiroshima was 15,000 kilotons of... It's about 11 tons worth of TNT yeah. for the Mohab. No, it 44 isn't. tons in the, in the Fohab. Oh, the well, then neither father. one of them will take you out. But again, this is a whole other thing. Like It was reported... <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, it was reported so many times, so many different ways. I don't think anybody knows anymore. I, I don't even know if the bomb exists. I don't think the footage is real. I don't think there it's is an Afghanistan. Fake. I think it's all out of there. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, interesting thing here on uh, EPA. Well, if we get any more different uh, updates on that, we will uh, correct it for you. We do all, by the way, have spoons coming up and a special one. This weird unicorn thing going on. I don't know what the hell it is. 
Do you know what that? Do you understand it, Jeffy? Can you? Because it seems like this would be the type of thing you'd already have a themed website. (laughs) I know my daughter Um, is all in love with it, but I I really don't. I didn't pay attention this week to it. So, so there's some some trend of unicorn food. Yeah, I don't know. Does it come from that weird ad they had a while ago with the ice cream? It was the poop, though. Very well, could be. I bet that's what's what What started it. Yeah, Yeah. so since then there's been, I guess, a big trend of unicorn uh, themed food, like unicorn toast and unicorn uh, ice creams (laughs) and cakes and all the stuff well now starbucks has jumped on the bandwagon this is a clear sign that we have hit the peak of this and it'll be gone in two weeks but they have a for five days only a um uh, a frappuccino that is made uh, that is unicorn themed and it's like crazy colors and it looks really weird and i don't know it, kind of the taste sounded like weird. it could be all right you know there's a couple of disturbing trends going on right now the unicorn thing mm-hmm. and this uh these adult Men oh, yeah. who are into My Little Pony. The bronies. The bronies. Mm-hmm. That, I, I mean, I just found out about that. And I, that is uh, I, wrong. Stop it. Maybe we should stop it. Pat, maybe we uh, could send a reporter uh, to the BronyCon 2017. Supposedly they're getting 10,000 people there. August 11th. Right? To- is it here? Like 10,000 uh, people. The Dallas? No, I don't think so. Because if it's in Dallas, you're going, Jeffrey. You do realize that. I think we should send Jeffrey. Baltimore. Oh, we need to send you to Baltimore. Well, that that's would be perfect because then they would thing. also lock in their ugliest town <laughs> thing. And uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, that's a good how. Th- how did this happen? <laughs> I don't know. How did My Little Pony become a thing for men? It's for it's a little girls show. How did men fall in love with this uh, with this particular cartoon? Uh, is, is that? I don't know. It's so you know, bizarre. I posted a, uh, a story on uh, my Facebook page uh, yesterday that was generally related to this. It was actually from the Federalist, in which they argue there's actually some really good lessons you can learn from My Little Pony. There, and, uh, <laughs> really? Yes. That well, this says, that. this says these guys are not overly effeminate. They must be somewhat effeminate then, right? They're not overly, though. <laughs> okay. Many aren't gay. Many, they aren't, many they aren't, aren't. They aren't predatory or even being ironic. Now, uh-huh. you can see it is like right. a joke. An ironic thing, yeah, totally. Uh, they're just guys, dudes, dudes who like My Little Pony. <laughs> Come on! Do we have the picture of the guy? Come on! Uh, the picture of the, of the one oh, big, I wish we uh, did. Uh, My Little Pony bro- brony con guy um, kind of sums it up. Yeah, it, it yeah, kind of okay. does. Kinda he's he's got does like rainbow colored like hair and a beard, mm-hmm. and he's wearing uh, like a pony thing on his head. <laughs> Come on now, you can go to How my Facebook page and learn about this. Let me, should we give you some of these lessons real quick? This yeah. is from the Federalist, which is a, you know it's a it's a good source, it's a good site, okay. uh, and occasionally they write about some odd pop culture things, which I really enjoy. Preconceptions, even when this is their four lessons. Preconceptions, even when negative, can have worth. One of the best characters on the show is Luna, the princess of the mm-hmm. night. She starts off as the villainous nightmare moon in the pilot episode, but her, after her defeat and redemption becomes a recurring heroic figure. In her first appearance after the pilot, um, has her uh, trying to adjust to mm-hmm. a world that is not only much different from the one she remembers. She was trapped in the moon for a thousand years. Long story. But one in which she basically is the boogeyman. Uh, Nightmare Night, uh, the equestrian equivalent of Halloween, is even based around placating her so she won't gobble up young ponies. Luna is understandably put off by this. She wants to be loved and admired, but the other ponies, especially Goofball Pinkie Pie, constantly... Goofball Pinkie Pie. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. All right. Is that what you're getting out of this important lesson? That's what I'm getting. Constantly act afraid of her and her odd, intimidating manners don't help. She gets so offended that she threatens to eliminate the holiday. Um, uh, this is, com- are you, this is compelling, really riveting stuff. So the point is, though, that you know, she, they actually, maybe there was a good, um, a good lesson. Embracing in. the horror show version of herself, instead of demanding to be accepted by her own terms, gave Luna a connection with the other ponies, who then felt at least some familiarity <laughs> with her, and thus could relax <laughs> no. in her presence. I, I, I don't care about okay, any of that. How about this one? About any Settlers of and natives can both have legitimate claims. No. In the season one episode, the girls visit the western-style border of Appaloosa, where they find a tense standoff with the native buffalo population who are angered the ponies have planted apple trees on their traditional stampeding grounds. Oh, wow. The buffalo point out that they were there first, and in most shows, that would be enough to put them in the right. But the ponies answer back. One, they need the apples to live, and that's the only suitable ground for Miles. And two, they've already put a lot of work into the town and can't be expected to just pack up and leave. And three, the buffalo might have had the land, but they weren't doing anything with it except running across it, while the ponies have actually bought civilization to the the area. This is a good Native American parallel. It is, yeah. Uh, I I think I'm becoming a brony right now. (laughs) I think so, too. They say, hearing... Hearing the bronies rave about the quality of the My Little Pony series, you'd think they were talking about Citizen Kane. (laughs) (laughs) One of them, named Dusty Cat, says, Every character doesn't have the answer. They have to find the answer. They have to learn from their mistakes. That's what draws me to My Little Pony. You have a character-driven story where characters have to learn from their mistakes and grow. See? Another good lesson. Really powerful. Uh, we're huge fans now. We're huge Really powerful. Um, so now that we're huge bronies, <laughs> let's try the unicorn frappuccino. That comes up on the other side of the break on Spoons. 888-727-BECK is the phone number back. Yay! Yay! Here we are, uh, two grown men, mm-hmm. uh, and in front of us uh, is a unicorn a drink. Unicorn drink, frappuccino okay. from uh, Starbucks. Uh, as you see here, can I see the little blue swirls in there? I know it looks good. Um, do you have the yeah. actual rundown of what's on it, Jeffy? I do not. Um, I, we had a story up earlier about it, but I don't have it in front of me. I know it's got a mango flavor mm. in there. It's got okay. some white chocolate in there. White chocolate. Uh, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounded. Now it looks ridiculous, obviously, and there's tons mm-hmm. of sugar in it, and who cares? Um, that's obviously why we have it on the show. <laughs> like, like, oh, there's way too much sugar in there. You're not going to believe it. I don't care about that at all. I don't either. Um, so. However, like, I mean, it kind of sounded like a creamy with some fruit uh, in there. And it looks obviously kind of like like a little kid would order it. Yeah, flavor-changing, color-changing, totally not-made-up unicorn frappuccino. Magical <laughs> flavors start off sweet and fruity, transforming to pleasantly sour. Swirl sour. it to reveal a color-changing spectacle of purple and pink. It's Weird. finished with whipped cream, sprinkled pink and blue fairy. I, I don't think I want it to be sour, but... Uh, yeah, so it says basically so we have what that. you're supposed to do is drink a little <clears throat> bit of that first right. and then mix okay. it up and try it again, so... Ooh. All right, that's... Okay, mm. so it's got a... Kind of good. Kind of like a not loose... Bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's got a little bit of a... Uh, it's fruity, but it's not overly <clears throat> strong. Mm-hmm. Um, a little mango, I can taste that in there. Let me mix it up a little mm. bit. Yeah, you taste the mango big time. Yeah, uh, mixing it up, getting the little flavor. Taste the mango very much. I'm trying to get some of the uh, blue swirl in there. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Mm. A little bit more. Sa- oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. A little more sour. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a almost like sour patch uh, mm-hmm. kid sort of kick in there. I guess that's the blue. Yeah. But yeah, that's actually really strong. The sour can kick in pretty strong. I'm mixing it up a little bit more. Can I get a little bit more in there? I will say, this is not terrible. This is not terrible. <clears throat> I don't know that I'd order it. Right. No. no. First of all, I would not like to walk around holding it. Mm-mm. <laughs> Hi. There you go. Hi. Hi. I don't look, you know, particularly like a, a man. Is this where um, I get my passes to BronyCon? Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> I'm a little... Um, Brain freeze. Brain freeze. Oh, really? oh man. That's in brain freeze mode. Oh, yeah. Just that little bit of... Mean of brain freeze. Just a little bit of unicorn love? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you keep saying mm. unicorn love, it's a totally different thing than I think most people mean. Um, <laughs> I, I, again, like, I don't know that I would order it either. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Frappuccino fan as it is. Um, but, like, it's not a bad little drink. It's not bad. Mm. I'd give it a 10. You know? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I'll give it a 10, too. 9 or a 10. Uh, Jeff, you want to give a number on that one? I wouldn't order it. I okay. try them. Uh, here's a hostess. Were you just eating the hostess thing? Nope. <laughs> it was on camera. You are unbelievable. You are un-freaking-believable. Uh, sweet Shop Brownies mm. with Milky Way bar pieces. And I will say, this is uh, okay. came in from Jeffy, by the way, mm-hmm. who brought it in himself. Um, now, of course, he obviously didn't buy it, but still, it's the best thing he's ever done for the show. <laughs> and, and to give you a value, a number value on that, if you wanted to uh, kind of see how much has Jeffy ever contributed to the show, it's uh, right about uh, this level. <laughs> 49 cents. <laughs> that's the best thing he's ever done for the actual show. So thank 49 you, 49 cents worth is better than he's... I mean, that's better than zero. In, if you think I didn't put right? in for payment back on that, you're sadly <laughs> Are mistaken. Are you expensing it? <laughs> So these are actual brownies with uh, just little pieces of uh, Milky Way on top yeah. of them, right? Kind of interesting. They're worth forty nine cents. Mm-hmm. Let's see. About it. Okay, I can see the look right there. You get, you know, it's still, it's not. It doesn't seem like it's a uh, uh, anything super innovative, but I do no. like Milky Way and I do like brownies. So mm-hmm. give it a shot here. Let's see. I could go for a stronger taste of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd rather taste. just have a Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but but. Plus, these, I don't know how long these packages have been on the shelf mm-hmm. from Hostess, right. but they really need milk. I'll tell you that. <laughs> God, Unbelievable. I mean, it's infuriating. Unbelievable. He does it to hurt you, audience. He does it to hurt you. Um, I mean, again, like, I love the idea of Milky Ways and brownies. I, I don't feel like they did anything other than just, like, you got a Milky Way bar, kind of, like, sprinkle it on yeah. top. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the icing itself... I mean, I'm not getting any taste from it. It really mm. just tastes like a brownie. Um, and a hostess brownie, which, you know, it's not my favorite. No. I, I like rooting for hostess because, I mean, you know, it's kind of an American <clears throat> institution. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again. But it's like a chemical brownie. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, and I'm fine with chemicals, as you know. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. But I'm like fine it's, with any chemicals in food or outside of them. Did you feel I'm the sorry. need to. I, was my mic on? Yes, it was. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I would give that a, a scale from 1 to 18, by the way. That's how we rate things here on the program, because Jeffy can only count to num- the number 18. I'd give it a 9. Yeah. It's I'll, edible. I mean, I, I, I'll like, do an 8. An 8. Jeffy, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're, mm. you're reading? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's dry. You know. Yeah, we're looking for it a is. number. It, is it just so hard to, I mean, can you just say a number? What would be the numerical uh value that you would place on the brownie. I'm not sure, but did you know 
that Julia Roberts, the most beautiful woman in the world, for the fifth time on People magazine. I don't know where that came from, but it is a bizarre story. Uh, It's bizarre. Julia Roberts. That's so out of left field. First of all, she's rarely seen anymore. Secondly, I mean, Margot Robbie. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Kate Beckinsale. uh, Uh, Those three alone uh, beat Julia. Oh, yeah. And either one, any one of those. Did you, oh, you meant it was out of left field that Julie Roberts got it. I thought you meant that he brought it up. It had nothing to do with what we were talking about or anything. That, that well, that too. That, that too. He wanted a number. Congratulations to Julie Roberts. Five. <laughs> Fifth time. <laughs> so number silly. five. We you are so to. aggravating and so stupid. <laughs> wow. I, I really do think we're too nice to her. Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's just no doubt about that. Because a lot of times we'll say something horrible to him, mm-hmm. but then we'll laugh about it afterwards. Right. We need to stop that second part. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, I'm going back to the the, uh, the brony thing here, which is not brony. It's pretty good. It, it's actually like not that? bad. It's not. I mean, you're going to give it more than a ten? No. But I mean, it's edible. It's like I kind of thought it was just going to be this quirky product that we were going to make fun of, and in yeah. reality, it's it's just like a it's a light. It's a light, fruity drink that occasionally yeah. has a real blast of sour flavor, which is, I wouldn't say I would design a drink like that that I was going to buy, but it's not bad. I mean, it's edible. Yeah, it's okay. I you mean, think no. it'll last longer than five days? It's only on the market for five days. So if you want to go to uh, Starbucks and get this, you can only get it, like, I think through the 23rd or something like that. Oh, yeah. people are getting, they're firing up their cars right now and heading to Starbucks all over the country. When Pat's talking and I'm eating, you're not supposed to film me. Like, you're supposed to act like I'm taste testing it. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, we're moving on to other topics. And then whoever's not on camera just eats. That's how the segment works. Okay. Uh, more Pat and Stu. Why do they not know that? Is uh, inevitable. So we talked to David Limbaugh on the radio program today for a little mm-hmm. bit about his book. Uh, Glenn talked to him about yesterday. We're going to give you a clip of that in a second. Really interesting guy. He was a real skeptic of Trump and then wound up mm-hmm. kind of voting for him at the last minute and, and uh, got some heat from never-Trumpers, kind of the same heat we got from people who were voting for Trump. That's an amazing world we live in. Mm-hmm. But here's David on his most recent book. David, I am at a place, and we've talked about this on the show before, and I think a lot of us are at this place. I think a lot of Americans are at this place. I don't even know what it means to be religious anymore. I don't know what it means. I'm I'm actually angry with religion. I'm sick of religion. Um, And I, I don't know exactly what it means to be a Christian because I think it's gotten so tangled up into religion that I don't know what it means. We are seeing atheism starting to grow. And, and in some ways, something good, I think, is happening, although I worry about the consequences of this. But people are saying, I'm a person of faith. I'm not a person of religion. At the same time, though, they're not getting any food You know, you have the concept of Jesus. Nobody knows the words of Jesus. Nobody knows the words of 
of, uh, of the Old Testament and why that's important. That's what we were based on. So you now come out with a book called The True Jesus, which has, I mean, you've got an uphill job. Yes. Well, only I know who the true Jesus right. is. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Unfortunate title yeah, in that right. respect. But uh, one way of looking at that is that he's not the Jesus depicted by the popular culture, which wants to conform Jesus to fit it rather than the other way around. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we need to conform ourselves to him. And, and he was a... He was uh, a true radical revolutionary. A lot of the people, if Jesus came back today, a lot of the people going to church would condemn him. Yeah. Well, my, I believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he didn't come to preach tolerance. He didn't come to bring peace, not in his first coming. Uh, he came to divide brother from brother, father from mother, in-law from in-law, because he stands for something uh, that is against the world. The world is under control of evil forces, and so the world will attack him and anyone who follows him. He didn't promise wealth and health to people if they had enough faith, like some prosperity yeah. gospel people. He said, no, if you follow me, you're going to have to bear your own cross. He didn't say, just do whatever you want. He wasn't intolerant to all ideas. He said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way that to the Father except through me. And he, and he pronounced the most exacting moral standard known to man in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. So pretty radical stuff. And yet people want to say, want to hold him up as just a great prophet and not as God. And they want to hold him up as a guy who just was for diversity and, and feel good and tiptoeing and skipping through the tulips with sandals on. When in fact, he did... Uh, he did adhere to a moral standard, and he proclaimed to be truth with a capital T, and he was intolerant of sin, totally intolerant of sin, because he's God, and, and God can't allow sin. On the other hand, real quickly, he is the most forgiving, passionate, loving being, because he is God. He's so so let, me, let me take you to that dichotomy, because that is, it seems as though you can only have one Jesus and not the other. You can't have the this is wrong, Jesus, and the let's all get together, Jesus. Yes. And if you say what, what you started to say was he's not this all let's get along, but explain then how you can have two of the greatest movements of the 20th century, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, both use Jesus as the center pin of that movement, which was peace. Well, all religions, for, for me to say Christianity is the only true religion, it's a little misleading uh, because a lot of religions, even if I consider them not ultimately to proclaim truth, have el truthful elements. So Gandhi could pick, cherry pick, and I don't mean this in a cynical way, he could borrow from Jesus, things sure. he admired about Jesus, and he said he was the great, but he didn't ultimately accept his deity. He thought he sure. was a great prophet. Right. And we, we as C.S. Lewis says, he was either... Uh, the Lord, the liar, a liar or a lunatic because he claimed to be God. And let's not make any mistake about that. If you read the book of John, uh, he claimed to be uh, the great I am, the great Yahweh. He had the power. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. He said, I and the Father are one. On and on. He's the mirror image of the Father. Gandhi would not say that. He would say he's a great prophet. Sure. 
And, and that's, you can't have, you can't just be a prophet because if he's only a prophet and not also God, then he's either self-deceived or deceiving others. So uh, Martin Luther King, of course, was a Christian, so there's nothing incompatible with that. And there's nothing wrong with trying to urge people to get together and be loving towards one another and to be helpful toward the poor. But we don't abandon the moral standards. That's what the left, that's what the secular left wants to do. You hypocrite, you hypocritical Christians, you can't honor the own, your own standards. So why do you have them? Because God says these are the standards and we know instinctively anyway that the law is written on our hearts. We know right from wrong. And so we don't abandon these standards just because we are sinners. Christianity, the Bible accurately depicts the human condition. And that's one reason it's so affirming to me. No other worldview describes accurately the human condition. We're not on a linear path to enlightenment. We're not improving our human condition through science. We're developing scientifically and technologically, but we're the same fallen people we always were. We're depraved, and so we need a Savior. We can't attain salvation through our works, only through imputation of the perfect God-man that lived on earth. I'm trying to remember what the name of this group was. There was a bunch of Bible scholars. Dominic Crossan was one. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, and Jesus Seminar. Jesus Seminar. Yeah. And they went around and they, they said, well, Jesus clearly most likely said this, most definitely didn't say this, went through the Bible and color-coded it, which is phenomenal uh, to me. But they, they uh, uh, if you talk to Dominic Crossan, which... I have, he doesn't believe that Jesus was anything but a man. He was not the son of God. And he says he never claimed any of this. This stuff was written 70 or even 150 years later. How do you, how do you deal with that? By pointing to the evidence which says otherwise. In, in my book, I think it's on page 44, I just happen to know that because I made a, a, was outlining the book in preparation for interviews. And there's a list of creedal, form- it may not be on 44, but creedal formulas that Christians accepted before the Gospels were even written. And Paul refers to them. that there, were no, there was no major dispute about the essentials of the Gospel. They accepted Jesus as deity and as full, fully human. They, they accepted his resurrection as a historical fact. In fact, the disciples weren't even convinced that he was who he said he was, even when he died and the tomb was empty. It was only after he appeared in his bodily resurrection and he ate with them and he shook their hands and they point, he pointed to the holes in his body that they realized what he said because the Jewish messianic expectation was that, you, that the Messiah would be a military political deliverer, not a suffering servant. Jesus will come back and reign in glory. So those Old Testament prophecies were accurate, but they were to come, they were to apply to the second coming. There is also talk in the Old Testament about a suffering servant. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. You can't believe how accurately they predict his passion and his crucifixion. But in the Jews' defense, the, old, the Jews who were living at the time of the New Testament and the disciples, it was presented in a mosaic, as Dr. Michael Heiser talks about. All these different scatterings of these predictions. And the Jews can't be blamed for thinking that he wasn't going to be a suffering servant. But in fact, it was predicted through the New Testament lenses, we can go back and see it clearly. Jesus came not to conquer Rome the first time or any other worldly power. He came to conquer Satan, sin, and death through his own allowing himself to be conquered uh, in in the sense he allowed himself to be humiliated, uh, beaten, ridiculed, and ultimately crucified. He willingly went to the cross because he came to die and only through Uh, dying for our sins and then triumphing over death by resurrecting. 
himself. Are, is our resurrection possible? His is the first fruits, and he triumphs over Satan, sin, and death. So ironically, even though he, he didn't conquer Rome, he conquered all of evil for the benefit of mankind. Name of the book is The True Jesus with David Limbaugh.